We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. You know, going from thinking of ideas as facts to understanding their observations. It's my idea about what happened. It's my experience. It doesn't mean it's the truth or what's right, which is often where people get stuck. That we're not talking about, you know, is this a table? To me, it's a beautiful table. You might think it's an ugly table. It's okay. We are allowed to have different ideas. We don't always have to agree. Welcome to Love Link, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Today we are interviewing Harvard-educated Dr. Amelia Kaplan-Romanowski, psychologist, professor, and author. Currently, she has a private practice in Maplewood, New Jersey, specializing in couples therapy and teaches a class on clinical supervision at Montclair State University. She has co-authored the book, Treating Affect Phobia, and is currently working on materials for couples. With almost 20 years of clinical experience and as a wife and mother of two, we're here to learn from Dr. Romanowski about how we can teach and help our clients develop healthier psychological boundaries. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here. We're so pleased to have you. So, Amelia, you're an expert on boundaries, and I'm curious how that became a significant part of the way that you work. So after 20 years of practice, I have come to see that, in my experience, boundary work is one of the most actionable ways that a person can work on themselves and on healthy relationship. Um, just to give you an example, in my own life, growing up, I, there was a lot of love in my family. However, we often were spoken to in really very angry tones. And when I got into my marriage, I thought those tones were normal, and it was only after really starting to understand boundary work that I realized how many ways the way I was speaking was not normal and not okay. And so boundaries give a lens and a language to talk about ways of behaving and we'll talk about psychologically of protecting yourself that help you be in, in good relationship with others and can explicitly talk about when things don't feel right between people. Mm, yeah. So, so it's helped my marriage tremendously and like I said in my practice, it's something that people can take and start to use immediately. So it's exciting and actionable. So how would you define boundaries? Okay, so boundaries, there are three kinds of boundaries. There's physical boundaries, psychological boundaries, and sexual boundaries. And this talk is going to be primarily on psychological boundaries. However, I want to talk a little bit about each kind. Um, so our boundary is an invisible protective layer. It's where we begin and the rest of the world 
ends. It, it helps us define our space. It helps us define our own ideas and beliefs. As we'll talk about, there are certain ground rules of boundaries, but they're unique to each individual. There's certainly a cultural component. There's an individual component. And they're influenced also by family. You know, again, what's modeled in your family. Okay, so the physical boundary is um, the, like I said, it's your actual physical space. So it's your body, it's your belongings, and the space around you. So in the work, this work is a lot based on Pia Melody's work, that she talks about 18 inches around you, like a hula hoop. So again, different cultures, some cultures move up much closer, but the idea that you have some right to space around you, it's not just your body, it's your personal space, which helps you understand things like when somebody gets too close to your face or is following you when you don't want them to touching a person without their permission, getting into their physical belongings, checking their phone, looking at their mail, going in their closet. People have a right to privacy. So again, that's part of the physical boundary. Listening to another person's personal conversations without their permission. Um, exposing others to a physical illness without their permission. And following a person from room to room. These are, these are examples of boundary violations, and it, it often helps couples understand when, for example, somebody's following the other one, that that's not okay, that you can't just do whatever you want, which we'll talk more about, that boundaries are not just about protection, they're about containment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then there's the sexual boundary. Sexual boundaries are complicated, and we could do a whole podcast, at least a podcast on them, and I wanted to just highlight that that sexual boundaries are about negotiating when, where, and how to have sexual contact. And there's an expressive one and then a receptive one, which means both what you put out sexually and how you receive sexual energy. Um, I thought Emily Nagoski's podcast on Lovelink was wonderful, and she actually talked a lot about how to negotiate sexual boundaries. So I'm not gonna spend a lot there, but I did wanna say that, that as consent is becoming more and more important and explicit, if somebody is actively saying no or some version of that, that's really important to listen to. And that may be obvious, but often I think people might discount it. And we have to be really clear that consent has to be listened to. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. Okay, so the psychological boundaries, it's really important to have a visual image. So the one that I like to use is a membrane. A membrane can open and let something in, or it can close and keep it out. It can let in part of something. It can slow things down. Things can just bounce off it if needed. Uh, other images people like are a force field, 
a wall of water, which is not, I'll talk about walling, it's not a wall, but the idea of some kind of protection. Uh, another one that people like a lot is a catcher's mitt, that you catch somebody's ideas, and I'll, it, it'll become clear, out here, and you look at them, and you think about them. And maybe this part is true, but this other part isn't true. Another image, a windshield. That's the one I used a lot with my kids, is use your windshield, that people are often saying things that are about them, and let it just bounce off your windshield. So it's really helpful to have a visual image, and we'll, and we'll talk about that more. Um, and again, the idea of a membrane or a boundary is that things, it's permeable. Things can come through or they can, they can stay out. It's nonviolent. They just bounce off it. It's not, it's not a violent pushing away. It's just letting it, it's just not mine. That's not my idea. That's not my truth. Okay, so now I'm gonna just go into a little more detail about the psychological boundary, and this is what I do in my practice, and so I'm gonna do it with you guys here. So you put one hand out towards the world, okay? And then one hand, so one palm is out towards the world, and one palm is in towards the self. And there's, so one of the part of the brilliant parts of this work is that there are actually two parts to a psychological boundary. Okay, so this part that goes out towards the world, this is your protective boundary. It's also called your listening boundary. This one protects you from the world. It stops you from taking responsibility for other people's thoughts and feelings. It stops you from taking the blame. And it lets you know that it belongs to other people, that they're not just yours. So this is your protective one. I like it. Mm -hmm. You like it? <laughs> Good. And so again, I think of, I actually have in my mind's eye a visual image of some protection. This one is your containing boundary. This one protects the world from you. This is the one that when most people think about boundary work, I think they think about protection. They don't think so much about containment and behaving. Mm -hmm. This is the boundary that is your speaking boundary, or like I said, your containing boundary. This is your, I would say, your obligation to, about how you show up in the world. It protects you from saying or doing things you regret, from being offensive, from lying, from screaming, shouting, yelling. I mean, I'll talk more about boundary violations. But so anyhow, so we have our listening or our protective one, and then we have our containing or our speaking one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I came up with some, I wanted to give you some examples of what, so now you, you want to hold on to that in your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, why is it so important? Because you've come up with so many of these great examples of, of images and of this like physical stance. Why is it important to kind of externalize or have this image in mind? Okay, so it's so again, going back to this idea of actionable. Mm -hmm. Boundary work is, if, if you believe this work, it's something that has to be taught. Children are born boundaryless. We are born totally vulnerable and unprotected. And so we have an obligation, to, in or, I would say, it, in order to be healthy, we have to protect ourselves. And so the more that we can visualize some protection, it slows down input that comes in towards us and actually I think allows us to hear it better and take it in better. Mm. As well as it helps us be more thoughtful and careful and considerate about what we put out towards the world. So again, we're gonna talk about you know, different ways to strengthen your boundaries. I think that having the visual image really helps. Some people are more visual, some people, I don't know, you know maybe it would be something musical. It's, it's just that literally, it's on each of us ourselves to develop these. I think that's so important because I hear from a lot of patients um, that I see that, you know, they say things like, I don't have good boundaries, as though there's something fundamentally right. wrong with them, when in fact they just haven't been taught good boundaries. 
Absolutely. I think that, that, and it, it is it is something that that you that you learn through life. It's not automatic. It's I think that's a really automatic. good, good, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's not automatic. It has to be taught, and it's a moment-to-moment -moment practice. What does it mean to have good boundaries versus bad boundaries? Okay, so we're talking about psychological boundaries specifically, yeah. and so first with the protective boundary, right, which is the listening boundary. Okay, so so bad boundary work is when you over-personalize things. Like I said, you take them in, you blame yourself. You feel intensely bad or guilty about something that you didn't even do. You believe what others tell you about yourself. Um, you easily take the blame and you feel easily hurt, offended, wounded, and overly responsible for others. So an example, when someone ghosts you, which is you know just not responding, you blame yourself. It must be my fault when really when you've had, let's say, one date, it's not about you. It's about the person who's ghosting. It's about their bad boundary work. But if you're not careful and you just take that in. So that's an example of boundary failure. Um, good protective or listening boundaries is, is being able to take responsibility for your behavior and the impact on others without feeling ashamed. And that's a really big deal. That's hard to do. To be able to look at your behavior and understand that there might be something I need to change on my side of the street which is, again, my, my side, what, what I've defined in my boundaries, and not feel so bad about myself that I just block it. Now, with the speaking boundary, these are pretty familiar, and when I first bring them up with couples, they usually say, oh, yeah, I recognize a bunch of these. And like I said, my own life, yelling, screaming, name-calling, shaming, speaking with contempt, speaking too loudly, too intensely, cursing at someone, raging, belittling, being sarcastic. And you know, sometimes people are surprised about sarcasm, but really what sarcasm does is it forces the listener to try and understand what the speaker really meant. And in this work, we're trying to be really honest and authentic and direct. And so it's based on, it's my work to let you know what my truth is, not your work to try and decide for me what I really meant. What, are, what do good speaking boundaries look like? Um, doing what you say you're gonna do, being polite, being respectful, being diplomatic, speaking from the I, not the you. Anytime you hear, you know, your da-da-da-da-da, that's a boundary violation. I'm, trying, I'm telling you what your truth is. I think your da-da-da-da-da is from, is from my side of the street. Uh, asking if it's a good time to talk, that is a really big deal. Sometimes, you know, I'll just come out and say something and the other person will say, well, you know, really, they're not ready to hear it. Just the point of asking is this, can I give you a feedback? Can I make a request of you? Is this a good time to talk? Hey, do you have five minutes I'd like to vent about something that happened? Is a wonderful way of engaging someone's boundary. And usually by asking, it helps the person be ready to hear it. You know, I like to give an example. You know, one partner is chopping in the kitchen. The other one just comes up and says, no, no, let me show you how to chop, right? Adults don't want to be told what to think and feel. The partner, what, do you think they're going to be open to that, to that feedback? Probably not. But if the partner comes up and says, hey, I'd love to show you a technique I learned, what's the chances? Okay? Would that be okay? Exactly. I'd love to show you. Is that, yeah, is that something, are you okay with that? Yes. Right. So those are examples. Um, and if a person isn't ready to hear it, then what would you kind of recommend a person do afterwards? How would they respond? 
How would the person who's chopping respond? How would the person who's requesting respond to someone who's so saying again, it's, it's a not great the right question. time? This is the work: is to understand you're not in the mood for feedback. Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you just you're not in the mood to be told that. If I tell it to you anyway, you're probably going to be resentful. It's not going to go well, and I'd rather be in harmony with you. And that I don't have to personalize it. It doesn't mean you don't love me. It doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean another day you wouldn't be really interested in in, in having a chopping, you know, lesson together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That that's part of the actionability between couples is that you start to understand that it's it's not just about what you want. You have to really think about: Am I stepping on my partner? That seems like it requires both the listening and the speaking boundary. You're putting the speaking boundary out by make, asking permission, and then you're putting the listening boundary by saying, I get it, you're not ready. Right. I'll come back another time. Right, right. Yeah. That the, and, and that's how you see the two boundaries really work together. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If I'm not able to protect myself from what's coming in, how can I stay in good self-care and stay polite and respectful? It doesn't give us a license if this boundary is not strong or if I go into failure to then do whatever I want is a big piece of this work, is that we really have to own our own side of the street. And that whatever's coming at us can really impact us. It can disappoint us. At its worst, it can be abusive. And in abusive moves, which are boundary violating, there are times where other people are really influencing us. But to the best of our ability, it's our jobs to protect ourselves and our jobs to advocate for ourselves. And how do you talk to people about being over-boundaried? In the sense that sometimes, People might say, well, I have good boundaries, but really what they're saying is, I withdraw in relationships and I move away from other people, and they, they conflate the two. Exactly, so that's why it's so important um, to talk about going from unboundaried, which is sort of everything is coming out, everything is going in, to walled. And uh, being what, what often we would call overboundaried, I would call walled. And a wall is nothing coming in, nothing coming out. So if you have a wall of protection, you know, I'm not really listening to you very much, right? I'm not taking your feedback. I'll just do whatever I'm going to do, and I don't really hear you. I might feel somewhat comfortable in my bubble, but nothing's really happening between us. I'm certainly not caring about the impact. And I think most of the time people actually are pretty numbed out because we all have attachment needs, and I'm pretty isolated. When I don't speak up about anything, when my containing or my speaking boundary is walled, again, nothing's happening. You know, it's that shutdown. I'm not requesting anything. I'm not advocating for myself. I may not be showing you the cherishing moves. So we talk about, and literally this is something I do, is educate people about, you know, do you have a boundary or a wall? And part of the work, again, visualizing is do we soften walls or do we build up protection? And people come from very different parts of the spectrum. So how do we develop these boundaries? Like what would a childhood look like for someone who develops that walled off, over-boundaried stance versus a child that grows up in a completely under-boundaried environment? So we as humans, a lot of our learning and, and what we do is based on our on modeling, on social learning. So we absolutely learn about how to have boundaries in our families. And in very unboundaried families, it's, there's often a lot of chaotic communication. There's, like I said, my family, we were ex had extremely good boundaries in our behavior. We would, in the sense that we always kept agreements, we were respectful, we, nobody's lying to each other, nobody's hiding things. However, when we got angry, we would just I would just get yelled at or snapped at, and then it would be over. 
and it can hurt a lot, actually. So you can grow up in a family where there are some boundaries are modeled well and some aren't. I knew families when, when the parents got angry, they would just stop talking to the children. And I actually was thinking about that. It teaches nothing about repair. It, you know, so again, so in a family, I say it's harder in some ways for children who grow up with walls because they don't learn the tools to talk about things. And a lot of the health, as we know, in relationships is how you go from the harmony to disharmony back to repair and come back together. And that's part of why, like I said, this, this work is something you can start practicing and take on yourself. Even if you came from walls, you don't have to maintain walls. So what's the relationship between having healthy boundaries and self-esteem? So healthy, it's a great question. So healthy self-esteem works alongside boundaries. That really at, at the heart, in order to be able to protect yourself, you have to believe you have the right to protect yourself. And to be able to take in feedback from others, you have to be able to hold on to your self-esteem from within without going into some kind of toxic shame. So as Terry Real talks about in his wonderful podcast for Lovelink, that healthy self-esteem comes from within, not from without. And if you can hold on to your self-esteem, like I said, then you can be very sensitive and thoughtful about your impact on others while still loving yourself and others, you know, because that's what I think of as really healthy relationship is being able to hold on to ourselves and others. So you need healthy self-esteem to be able to have healthy boundaries. And if you don't have healthy boundaries, if you can't protect yourself, if people are saying, you know, you are like this, you look like this, da da da, right? Then it's it's hard to have good self-esteem. So they really are interactional and work together. Right. So you mentioned some of the tools to help cultivate. Um, good boundaries like putting your hands up and visualizing. Are there any other practical tools to cultivate good boundaries? Yes, yes, I would say there's a lot of things that you can do. One of the most important steps is awareness. And the truth is when we are in boundary failure, it's on us to be able to bring ourselves back. So really noticing in your body, if you notice you just said yes when you really didn't mean yes. If you needed more time to think about something, you just re were too reactive. So part of this work, like I said, is the education of understanding that we want to go from reactive behavior, which is often immature, to more mature, what we call adult behavior, which is more thoughtful, careful, considerate, not the knee-jerk snapping at someone or shutting down. It's what part of this is true? You know, what part could be mine? What part's yours? Really thinking about and, and piecing it apart that it's not black and white. That's another big piece, is that things aren't either swallowed whole or completely kept out. That, you know, there's a lot more agreement often than just disagreement. But if we're not careful, we can just become very polarized. So practicing understanding that idea of a membrane or understanding that idea that I can take in part of something. I can hold it as yours and yet it might, it, it, to have a great relationship I need to care more about your idea or your request. Um, you know, so I asked my husband a little bit about what he thought and he gave some good examples. You know, going from thinking of ideas as facts to understanding their observations. That it's what we, it's, it's my idea about what happened, it's my experience. It doesn't mean it's the truth or what's right, which is often where people get stuck. That we're not talking about, you know, is this a table? But we're talking about, you know, to me it's a beautiful table. You might think it's an ugly table. It's okay. We are allowed to have different ideas. We don't always have to agree. 
Sometimes we do, and then we have to work on negotiating. But sometimes we can really just allow ourselves to have different ideas and be more differentiated. And I can imagine having that mindset or mentality also helps with communicating that too. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't come off as right or wrong. Exactly, exactly. And that there is this respect that every each person because boundaries are really not just about the thing, it's how we feel about the thing. You know, that's why often I'm telling my clients it's not what they're doing. I'm listening to more how they feel about what they're doing, saying. And like we said, for some people, boundary violating behavior is too normal. And sometimes it's waking them up to realizing the impact of what they're doing. Um, yelling and screaming at each other in a car in front of their children is not okay. And it may be just how they were raised but it has, we have to work it. What about positive boundary violations? So, like, things that can be perceived as positive but feel like a boundary violation. So somebody who's, you know, almost like uh, experiences smothering. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I love you so much, and it's yeah. like this constant. Yeah. How do you, in a very thoughtful way, set a boundary with somebody where you're feeling overwhelmed by them? I think that's, so if you're in the relationship or me as a therapist? Both. So, again, if you don't have the language together, it really starts to be hard to talk about. But really, I would start with, it's about me. It's not about you. You know, I came from a family, and I have, I have people, you know, one's a hugger, and the other is like, don't touch me. And it's not about you. It's not that I don't love you. It's that I need a certain amount of space, maybe something in my history. However, this one is a hugger and wants some love. So how do we work it? How can we meet more in the middle? Because even though I own my side, I ha to have a great relationship, I have to care about yours. So, you know, I would say for that, that person who's in a smothery mood, you know, hey, I'm in a really touchy mood. Are you open? Would be a great question. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a code word for like, I'm really, I'm, I'm feeling overloaded by your love. I know it comes from a good place, but let's have a code word. However, let's talk about it in a, in a quiet moment and come up with that code word, not in the moment when then the partner might just feel rejected. Because then you can say, it's not about you, it's about me. And that kind of language, even though it impacts the other, it's just you start to understand it's not, it's not personal. It's just that, you know, it's too much. You know, I joke with my family. Sometimes, you, you know, they, they want space. I said, the best way to get rid of me, give me a hug, and I go off on my merry way. But if you're doing a lot of this, you know, then we're kind of, we're, we're not connecting. And it's sort of, how do we connect, bef you know, before um, we take space? Uh, just a few others. Can I just offer a few others? So sh really good boundary work is something like sharing yourself even when you want to withdraw which is a really hard one for some people. Because again, their whoosh might just be to withdraw. And how do I stay engaged when no one ever taught me? But that's a big piece of work, is how to understand that I have to stay in boundary relationship. I just can't go behind my wall whenever I want to. Um, another one, staying connected when you feel upset. Saying something. Can you say more about that? Staying connected when you feel upset? What does that look like? So it's similar that, that I don't have the right to just completely withdraw whenever I want to and just shut down to you. That if I want to have a good relationship, I have to stay negotiating with you. And like we're saying, maybe in this moment I need to say to you, I'm grouchy, I need a time out, please can I just have an hour to myself? Or I need to eat something, just don't talk to me right now. It's but again, if you understand boundaries, it's respectful. It's saying I need space so I can self-soothe, so I can, I can be calm and kind. Otherwise, I might be in a bad space. And I would say not saying something even when you really want to say it. 
So I'm talking about different boundaries. Some of these are about protection, but some of these are about what we put out there. That, you know, even though I really want to go off on you, I don't. And I don't go on and on about what I don't want. I make a request for what I do want. That's a big shift, and that's something we talk a lot about. Because again, people, our reflexive responses usually don't do that. But all you're telling me is what you don't want. Tell me what you want. How can I respect your boundaries? As opposed to just, uh-oh, I stepped on them again. Because, and this is really important, most of the time our intentions are good. It's our impact that, that where things get messed up. You know, I say from one heart to the other, there's a lot of distortion. That it's not usually what's intended. I rarely mean to, to actually violate someone's boundary. I would say I don't. But we mess up all the time. You know, I don't know if I'm getting too close or talking too loud for you or something. And if there's no safety to talk about it, um, or if you say, you know, I really would like it if you didn't use that, you know, if you didn't say that, or could you say it a different way, and I just don't take it in, right, we're stuck. Mm -hmm. So being sensitive to each other is a really important part of it. So if you were to offer a piece of advice for people who are wanting to begin to explore doing, you know, having better boundaries, what would you say is the first step? I would say to notice if there are places in your life, again, thinking of this as a moment-to-moment -moment practice. First of all, allowing yourself to be imperfect, being compassionate to ourselves that we are humans and humans are imperfect. We don't do this all the time well. However, um, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. So I had a, a, a client who she used to, when she was dating, she would go back to um, someone's house really early in the relationship. And then she would find that they would start getting intimate. And she would often do things that the next day she was not happy about. And part of the work is not waiting till you're in the situation to change it. That it really was good for her and something we worked on was not going to someone's house so early in the relationship. So I would say to tell people that, you know, boundary work comes in, your phys in physical ways, how you go on vacation with your family, do you stay in two houses, do you all stay in one hotel room? You know, be thoughtful about how to make things go well. You know, are you bringing a granola bar in your purse if you're somebody who gets hangry? Um, are you getting enough sleep? You know, I have a, a, a guy who stays up really late at night. I totally get it, little children, but has to wake up early every day. And it's a setup to be not in good self-care pretty much the whole time. Um, I would also say to think about what part can I take in? Like what part belongs to me and what part is not mine? So again, starting to piece things apart so it's not just, it's either all mine or all yours. I'm, I'm usually tracking, you know, what, what, how am I showing up and how are others showing up? And I would say, I would encourage people to, to talk to others about it. You know, ask questions. Often we, like I said, we, we don't know what to make up about other people's thoughts or behaviors. And so it's good to check it out. I think this piece about being resourced is really important and self-care because it, it takes energy to have boundaries. And if you're under-resourced, like you're not sleeping enough, you're not eating enough, exactly. you don't have the energy to, to have good boundaries. Exactly, exactly. That basically self-care is the ground we stand on. That's how I talk about it. And again, it's, it, I like this work because it's about personal responsibility. It's not your job to keep me from being hangry. It's my job. And it also seems really important, especially in romantic relationships, to have your partner 
also be aware of this. Like if you are entering this work with boundaries, that they should also mm. kind of um, have an understanding so that both of you can kind of negotiate this together. Yeah, so that is really my passion, is that I love it when couples know this work together and part of why I love working with the adult part of the system. Because literally you can say, well, I hate it when she says that. Okay, well, what does, does this sound better? You can just workshop it right there. Because often it's amazing how much languaging things matters just rewording it in a way that works with a person's nervous system. Like for example, one that I really like is instead of, you know, stop talking to me, is I really want to hear what you have to say, I can't hear it right now. Because one says, you know, I love you, I'm not in good self-care, I can't be a listener, and the other one is just, is just that push away. So Amelia, what's next for you? Uh, one of the, I'm working on boundary workshops for couples. So I'm, gonna, I'm working on doing some in-person workshops and potentially online workshops. I'm also developing some couples, some, some, hopefully some fun tools for couples to use to help them grow their skills together. And I have my private practice with, and I'm doing some intensives in Maplewood, New Jersey. And, um, and where can people find you? Do you have a website? Yes, my website is my name, um, ameliaromanowski.com. And I have some free resources on it, so I welcome people to go to it and, yeah, and, make, and contact me. Well, thank you so much for being with yeah, us today. It's been really special. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time.